The year 1953, a plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. G'day, g'day, this is Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid and you're listening to the All Australian Music Stories. Thanks for taking the time to listen and in each episode I'll look at the career of an Australian musician or band and celebrate the music. I'm not a professional broadcaster or podcaster, I'm sure you've worked that out already, but what I am is a massive fan of Australian rock and roll from any era. I've always felt that our Aussie musical stars have been underappreciated from the very beginning and it's still happening to this day. And I suppose this series of interviews is my small way of shining the spotlight on our great musical heritage. Okay, now I've set out what the podcast is all about. I'm sure you worked that out by the name of the title. So we'll get into the first episode. And I thought I'd kick off the series with someone that has been there from the very start. Lucky Star. Lucky wrote his name into the musical history books with the legendary song, I've Been Everywhere. However, Lucky Star's career is way more than just one song. We had a great chat and he's a funny guy and we had lots of laughs. The interview has many great stories, including the time that Lucky dated the same American starlet as none other than Elvis Presley. That's the sort of crowd that Lucky Star was in. He has made some amazing music over 60 years and he's still working and recording to this day. I hope you enjoy listening to the career of Lucky Star. Great big blisters on my bloodshot eyes from looking at that long-legged female of the head. What she does simply walking down the sidewalk of the city makes me think about some street cat getting fed. She's got a whole lot of motion in her soul. I know, but her soul's not the place she lets it show. Traveled every road in this hill land Cause I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Across the deserts, bear man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've traveled, I've had my chair, man I've been everywhere Been to Talamore, Seymour, Lismore, Maloolabar, Nambour, Mruchdor, Kilmore, Marilabar, Birdsville, Lemmerville, Wallaville, Connemano, Connemans, Strathrond, Prosper, Nalladala, Darwin, Ginger, Nilliquin, Mackilla, Walla, Miller, Burgerville, Cumberilla, I'm a killer I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Across the deserts, bear man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've traveled, I've had my Chairman, I've been everywhere. They found the cat Kohaley and the duckies rocked the most and that's how rock and roll was born. Yeah, that's how rock and roll was born. Well, we wanted something neat so we could clap and stamp our feet and that's how rock and roll was born. Tenor saxes wailing, electric guitars strumming. Bass and keyboard rhythm, sticks on skins and drums. Countryside's a rock, hipsters' fingers click. Squares who don't dig it must be cotton pick and chicken. That's how rock and roll was born. Gee, I wish it was ten o'clock. 
Come on, baby, it's time to rock. I'm so glad I got you here. It makes me happy when you're near. This feeling is killing me. Ah, shucks. I wouldn't change for a million bucks. I love you so. Hold me time. Don't let go. Growing up in the Sydney suburb of Mascot, what songs or performers were you influenced by? Oh, most probably at that period of time, Buddy Holly. Elvis had just more or less started. Um, Bobby Darren was, I guess, my strongest influence. Uh, I enjoyed people like Tony Bennett, and um, I never particularly liked Frank Sinatra, but Tony Bennett I, I really enjoyed listening to. But I styled myself after Bobby Darren, if any, I, I would say. More of the crooner, the smooth crooner type, rock and roll crooner rather yeah, than the rocker. I was, I, I was never a real heavy rocker. Um, there were plenty of people doing that, the Johnny Devlins and the uh, Digger Ravel and people like that. I just, um, I went, I tried to, to sing more uh, musical songs, yeah. Your first band was the Heparays. How did the name change from Les Morrison to Les Star come about? Oh, well, um, back then, um, we're talking the late 50s, early 60s, uh, you, there was a lot of young people trying to get a start in show business. And I, it, it occurred to me that the best way to get, stick my head up a, a, above the rest of the of the, the crowd was to have a, a bit of a gimmick. So I um, I built myself a star-shaped guitar, which currently resides in the Powerhouse Museum. <laughs> so you built that yourself? I did, yeah. Yeah, with the help of my drummer mate's dad, um, who was a... Um, a cabinet maker, he helped me with it. And uh, So you cut the star out of the body of the guitar? Sure or? did, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And I bought an old Levin guitar from J. Stanley Johnson's, which was a music shop, the music shop in, 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 uh, in town. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I got uh, Owen's dad to fit the, the, the neck into the, that body and then um, fitted some strings to it and a pickup. And, um, and so that, that became my symbol, and I changed my name to Les Star. And all my signage was in the shape of stars, and so it seemed to work. Uh, but then when I started recording uh, with Festival, um, they thought that Les Star sounded a bit like Lester or whatever, I don't know. So, uh, so and at that time we were winning a lot of talent quests. Uh, we just won a major one. At, uh, at the Alawa Hotel. That's how we got to be auditioning at Festival Records. That was the major prize. And, and so everybody was calling everybody else lucky. So I got lucky. They said, well, that'll be it, Lucky Star. So it, uh, it was a, a silly name, but it's worked. <laughs> and were you sold on it straight away or did you take some convincing? Oh, look, I don't, at that time I just wanted something that would make me famous. <laughs> And I suppose the record company, their boss, so they're telling you something and you have to sort of have to toe the company line. Pretty much so back then, yeah. Well, I was, uh, I, I, hadn't, I had no runs on the board. I was just uh, starting out and uh, it was well before I've been everywhere. Uh, after I've been everywhere, I had a few runs up. But by then you had no, before then you had no bargaining power to say who, who you could be or what you could be and 
as you said, lucky star, it's worked for you, so it has been lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I find now, uh, um, 60 years down the track, that if I ring up a club or if a club rings me and um, and they say, who's speaking, I tend to not say lucky star because you're generally speaking to young people and they say, you're the what, the lucky stars? <laughs> <laughs> so I just say, uh, you know, it's Les Star. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So apart from you calling yourself Les, who who else in the last sixty years has called you Les? Um, generally, family. Lately, um, now more and more people are calling me Les. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bother me either way. Uh, that's my name. <laughs> exactly. That's my dad's name. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. When did you come under the uh, management of Bill Watson? Well, um, that was. <sighs> I toured with the Mouseketeers, and uh, I don't know if you remember the Mouseketeers. Yeah, I've got a story of that question yeah, a bit later, yeah. but yep. So uh, Bill had bought out the first Mouseketeers, which um, had Annette Funicello on the show, and which was a huge success. They, they made a fortune out of it. And so he uh, proposed to bring out the second tour. And at that time, I think it was a – a union regulation, they needed an Aussie performer on every American show they brought out. So uh, so Bill uh, saw me performing on, must have been a very early bandstand, and uh, approached me via Festival Records and uh, asked me would I join the tour, which, of course, I didn't even think about, of course, yeah, exactly. I wanted to. So um, so that, that, that was when I started with Bill. That would have been... Wow, it was before I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere was recorded in 1962, so it was most probably, you know, early, very early 60s, late 50s. Okay, yes, mm. yep. So can you tell us about your signing to Festival Records? Did it come from winning that talent quest that you said? Yes, yeah. I, as I say, the first prize of the talent quest was a, an audition with Festival, and uh, I had my band with me, the, the Heparais, and uh, so we went in and auditioned and, and, and won, a, won a recording contract. So uh, they and you must have gone all right because from from as history says, Ken Taylor was a, a hard person to win over. So if you've won Ken Taylor over through an audition, there's been plenty that didn't. Yeah, look, Ken Ken was a was a a, a tough businessman. He um, festival you've got to remember festival record was um, was really just a, a, a an infant recording company, and really what they were doing they were re releasing overseas records. There were a few people here in Australia, I think Les Walsh and uh, um, I'm sure there were other people as well that were recording, but they were mainly um, Les Walsh wasn't, but uh, they were mainly country singers. And they were still 78s. They were still cutting them on 78s. And even Les Walsh was was taking the overseas hits and recreating them correct. in his own voice. So it wasn't yep. – they weren't really releasing Australian compositions that's, or – That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So and, – and then, of course, when they when they signed, I, th- I, I think maybe Cole was one of their first uh, artists to be signed, I think um, – and, and Cole had a couple of huge hits, uh, particularly "Bye Bye Baby," and um, and I think that that then encouraged them to sign more Aussie acts because they saw um, a viable market there. 
And your first release on festival was the uh, the B side to the the late radio DJ Ken Sparks. He had the A side. Yeah. You guys had the B side. That's right. And you played a uh, a Christmas song melody. I can't find that anywhere. <laughs> um, is it is it worth finding? Or well, look, it was a uh, it was uh, a rock and roll uh, Christmas carol, and uh, it was fun. And uh, I think it got a few a few plays, and it was nice to be associated with with Sparksy, you know, whom we lost just recently. Yeah. He's, and been, he's been a good mate up until then. Yeah. And he, he had a great career as well, and he sure did. A, a champion of Australian, championed Australian music like nobody else, basically. That, that's, that's true. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And he had a great television show too. Yeah, he did, and it's good to see it's still going. I, <laughs> yeah. I, the Saturday Night Jukebox, I yeah, think it's so, called, yeah, on, jukebox on Fox. Saturday night, jukebox yeah. Saturday Night on Fox. And yeah. yeah, it's great. You get some great, great songs on there. Yeah. and good trip down memory lane correct yeah lucky star and the hepa rays released several more singles and an ep through festival what are your memories of way down yonder in new orleans well look that was a song that um i think it it, it was a hit in america i think i forget who recorded it um i should know but you see unfortunately back in those days we got we got sort of the tail end of the the the, the songs that came over from America, and ha, were had been released here, and never made it. They were given to people like myself and Johnny Reb and a few of the other uh, uh, artists who were recording to see if they could find a potential song that could that we could re-record and and, and make a hit from. The only one who didn't do that was, of course, was Johnny O'Keefe. He used to go to America and and search personally for songs that had not been released in Australia. And most of his recordings were, not most, yeah, I guess most of them. A lot of them, of course, he wrote himself and were written by Australians. But that's how he got all of his hit records. We couldn't do that. And, uh, well, we could have, but we had, not, we didn't have the wherewithal to do it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so Way Down Yonder in New Orleans was a song that had been recorded in America. And I, I don't know if it had been released here or not. But um, uh, Hal Saunders, who was the A&R manager at Festival Records, a, a butte bloke, he asked me, did, did I want to do or, or said, do this one. <laughs> Didn't ask, do this one. So, um, so yeah, we recorded that. And I've it got a few plays, got a few spins. Not not a song that I'm particularly proud of. <laughs> but back then, as, as we were mentioning before, it's a two-track two track studio, so it's, yeah, you yeah. didn't have the bells and whistles of what, what we've got today. And uh, The lovely Robert Iredale, I, I remember him very well. And he was, uh, he was a magician with a, with a two-track, with just a little stereo recording and uh, a recorder, and you'd record, you'd record, both, record both tracks the band and maybe the vocals or something other, then he'd bounce those two tracks onto a one-track tape recorder and then bounce that back onto one track of the two-track tape recorder. And then by then you'd lost the bass, so you'd re-record the bass <laughs> on the other track. A <laughs> recording genius, obviously. Absolutely. And then, and then the, um, the echo chamber was the ladies' toilet down in the basement of Festival Records. And they had a, um, uh, they set up a microphone down there with a speaker in the other corner, and they, and you, that's how you get the echo effect, you know. Yeah, apparently the uh, the story goes that plenty of tracks were ruined by someone flushing, flushing the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of flushes in there. Yeah. We're down yonder in New Orleans in the land of dreaming. 
Festival Records decide to, to promote you as a solo artist. How did the Hepa Rays take this? Well, it wasn't so much that Festival decided to promote me as a solo artist. What happened, in fact, was that I recorded I've Been Everywhere. And we had a request from America for an American version from, um, from Big Top Records. I recorded the American version. Um, at the same time, Billy Eckstein... And um, and Jimmy Rogers were Jimmy Rogers kisses sweeter than wine. That Jimmy Rogers were out here. I I did a special with Jimmy Rogers, and I and, and a special with, with with Billy Eckstein, and they both convinced Bill that after having a hit record here, and having recorded an, an American one, I should go to America. And they they were prepared to um, uh, sponsor me for a green card, and uh, so I had little choice. But that that didn't include the band. And and uh, I guess the guys understood it. Uh, they really had no choice, you know. I I I had a a, a dream of, of of making it in America, and um, and unfortunately that that didn't in, include the Hepperays. So the Hepperays played on a couple of your early releases. Is that right? A, a great song called "Yeah, That's How." Some cool country cousins were searching for beat. They wanted something groovy, so they could stamp their feet. They searched around the bayou, looked all over the coast. They found a cat called Haley, and they dug his rock and roll. And that's how rock and roll was born. Yeah, that's how rock and roll was born. Well, we wanted something neat, so we could clap and stamp our feet. And that's how rock and roll was born. Tenor sax is wailing, electric guitars strumming, bass and keyboard rhythm, sticks on skins and drums, countryside's a rock, hipsters' fingers click, squares who don't dig it must be cotton pick and chicken, that's how rock and roll was born, yeah that's how rock and roll was born. Well, we wanted something neat so we could clap and stamp our feet. And that's how rock and roll was born. Big beat across the country. The cats were solid hair. Started at the proms. Well, then the message really hit. Great big squares in Boston. Even Washington, D.C. From Lakeside Drive, Chicago, down to Memphis, Tennessee. And yeah, that's how rock and roll was born. Yeah, that's how rock and roll was born. Well, we wanted something neat so we could clap and stamp our feet, and that's how rock and roll was born. Then along came Mr. President, and that whale of really sold. Sixteen records straight, each one solid gold. He said his hips are swinging like a local racing steam. This time he revved his motor, the chicks set up a scream, and that's how rock and roll was born. Yeah, that's how rock and roll was born. 
Well, we wanted something neat so we could clap and stamp our feet, and that's how oh, rock and roll was born. Yeah, that's how. That was a, a, an Aussie composition. Yeah, and that's fantastic. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a bit of a history of rock and roll. And, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And it goes on. Yeah. And the flip side of that is a, is a great song called Sweet Georgia Brown. Listen, everybody. Listen while I tell you about a girl. Well, she just got here yesterday. Things are hot here. Now they say there's a big change in our town. Chicks are jealous. There's no doubt, still the fellas rave about Sweet, sweet Georgia Brown And ever since she came All the folks they claim the same No gal made has got a shade on Sweet Georgia Brown Two left feet but also neat has Sweet Georgia Brown they all sigh and want to die for sweet Georgia Brown I'll tell you just why You know I don't lie, <laughs> not much It's been said she knocks him dead when she lands in town Since she came by, it's a shame how she cools him down Say fellas, she can't get to your fellas She ain't met Georgia claims that Georgia named her sweet Georgia Brown once again, that was one of those songs that came over from America and uh, and I think Hal Saunders suggested that we do it. And uh, I, I think that was quite a good record. I quite enjoyed doing that. Yeah. Well, they, you made the charts with that, so you yes. hit, hit 31 on the hit parade and <laughs> yeah, so right. you, you were thinking, well, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, there is a chance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're moving forward, not backwards. Yeah, yeah. Another single released by Lucky Star and the Heparays was titled Wrong. My heart may break, but for my sake, I wonder, would it be wrong? Is there a secret meaning when you give me your smile? I'd like to know the answer. Flip side was Bill Bailey, won't you please come home? Won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home? Because I'm all alone. I'll do the dishes, darling. I'll pay the rent. I know I've done you wrong. 
drove you out with nothing but a fire to cold. Well, I know that I'm to blame. Ain't that a shame? Well, baby, won't you please come home? Won't you come home, but baby, won't you come home? Because I'm all alone. And now I'll do the dishes, darling, even pay the rent. I know I've done you wrong. Well, remember the rainy evening, I drove you out with nothing but a fine to cold. Well, I know that I'm to blame. Oh, ain't that a shame? Well, baby, won't you please come home? Oh, I like that. You mentioned before you you support the touring Walt Disney stars, the Mouseketeers, and the media goes into overdrive when it's announced you are dating one of the stars, Cheryl Holdridge. Was that a real romance, or was that something orchestrated by your manager, Bill Watson? Oh, no, no. I, I love Cheryl. She uh, she and I stayed good friends. Um, I, I actually, my first trip to America, I went there pretty much basically to visit Cheryl, uh, but I also picked up a contract to work the Nevada circuit as well, which which was nice. I was there for six months. But Cheryl lived in a different world than I did. She, um, uh, at the time, I think she was seeing Bobby Rydell or, and she'd been dating Elvis. So <laughs> <laughs> that was outside of my, totally outside but of my But you're in good company world. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but we stayed, uh, we stayed good mates up until she passed away about four or five years ago now. And we, we we used to correspond, and uh, we'd call each other for birthdays and stuff. And uh, she's a lovely lady. Yeah. So a lifelong friendship was formed formed Indeed. out of that tour. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Another single that you released uh, in in nineteen sixty is "Someone Else's Roses." One of the co-writers is credited as Ken Taylor. Is that the same Ken Taylor from Festival or, it or is, another? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I guess I'm not uh, speaking out of turn by saying what what um, a lot of people used to do then. They'd find a song that was PD, and it had to be uh, released for 50 years to be PD, public domain. So once a song is public domain, you can say that you've rearranged it or that's a, you've taken a traditional arrangement and altered it slightly and then add your name to the writer's list, okay. which meant you were entitled to half the royalty. Right, okay, yes. And that happened a lot back yep. then. Yeah. So Ken wasn't tinkling away on the piano at any stage. He wasn't sitting down at the piano with a pencil. <laughs> so you regularly play gigs at a club called the Afro-Cuban Nightclub, as does Jeff Mack. And this is where you first heard him play a song, The Swagman Rock, later to become I've Been Everywhere. Take us back to that moment you first heard the song that would go on to change your life. The Afro-Cuban was, I'm sure it's not there now, but back then the Cross was a lovely place. It was a really, really nice place to be, go and have coffee and and to work. Uh, The Afro-Cuban was sort of like a little upholstered rat hole downstairs (laughs) in uh, in Jackie's Arcade. And uh, Little Sammy was the the compere. I don't know if you remember Little Little Sammy. Little Sammy Gahar? Yeah, Yeah. Little Sammy Gahar, yeah. 
We lost him just recently too. He, um, so yeah, so uh, he was comparing. Jeff was on the show and, and Jeff sang, uh, I've never, as you say, was then called uh, The Swagman's Rock and uh, or Swagman's Lament, it was originally recorded as. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, Jeff wrote the song to open up his act. He needed an opening song for his act. Because he was a he was a great guitar player and singer. They used to call him Jeff Tangle Tongue Mac. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So he wrote this song and he sang it that night. I heard the song. I approached Jeff and asked him, had he recorded it? Was he going to record it? He said he had approached Festival Records, but he hadn't heard back from them. So I, I'm not sure if either I approached Festival or they approached me. I'm I'm not quite. I don't re- remember. But. But Jeff very kindly allowed me to record the song because he was in his thirties by that stage. So festival Correct. sort of realised, well, he's not going to not going to aim to the teenage kids. That he more uh, looks like yeah. their parents, sort of thing. And he than- didn't have a contract with festival, which I did, and I'd had a few, and I was looking, I was desperately looking for a hit song. You found one. I sure did. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So how long did it take you to memorise all ninety-four town names mentioned in the song? I didn't. I read them in the studio. I read the names of the studio. I suppose the first airing, the first public airing, was at uh, I was working at a little club called the Latin Quarter in Pitt Street, which was a gorgeous uh, nightclub back then. We used to have nightclubs. Yeah, <laughs> different to the day's nightclubs than sure. the doof doof music. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were beautiful. Showgirls had 12 gorgeous tall showgirls and it was marvellous. Ricky May uh, was, uh, was, was my uh, co-singer in the, in the room. And, and what a great singer Ricky yeah, was. And Norman Erskine. Okay, yes. It was, was the compere and singer, yeah. And he was another great singer, Normie. So I had to perform the song and they'd invited all of the uh, all of the executives from Festival Records to come along and enjoy the first airing of the song and I blew it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, and there's no, there's no picking up. If you blow one word, that's it. You've got to start all over again. Yeah. So what, you stopped and reset? Had to, had to, yeah. Got it right the second time, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, you had their attention by the time you got to the second I screen, certainly the second did, go. yeah. When you're in the recording studio recording I've Been Everywhere, you said you read the uh, the words as you went along. Yep. How many takes did it take you to, to get it down? You're asking an impossible question to answer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Quite <laughs> the, a few, I'm assuming. The hard part with I've Been Everywhere is holding your breath for 12 bars. That's the hard part. You've got to sing... Tell them all, see them all, this mama little bar, now I'm Richard or kill mama little bar. And that takes 12 bars. So at the end of 12 bars, you're just about out of breath. So I remember I wasn't quite making it. And Bill Watson, my manager, was there with me. And he said, come on, we're going out. We went down to outside Festival Records. And uh, he said, I want you to run up and down the street a few times <laughs> to open your lungs up, which I did. It seemed to work. We got it down eventually. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I've been everywhere. Well, I was humping my bluey on the dusty Udnadatta road when along came a semi with a high and canvas covered load. Uh, if you're going to Udnadatta, mate, um, with me you can ride. So I climbed in the cabin and I settled down inside. He asked me if I'd seen a road with so much dust and sand I said, listen mate, I've traveled every road in this hill land Cause I've been everywhere man, I've been everywhere man Across the deserts bare man, I've breathed the mountain air man I've traveled, I've had my chair man, I've been everywhere 
Okay, mate, you've been every place except one, and you don't need my help to get there. Of course, the song has massive success, one of the most recognisable Australian songs of all time. Did the radio stations get on board straight away, and how long before it became a hit? Yes, immediately. They, uh, particularly people like Bob Rogers. Bob, Bob was, was, was marvellous. He, um, he ran a competition uh, for anybody who could um, count the number of towns or name ten of the towns in the song okay. and yep. stuff like yep. that. You know, uh, Bob pretty much got it off the ground to start with, and then once it got off the ground, everybody jumped on it. It didn't take long. I think it was, I think it made number one in a matter of four or five weeks or something or other and stayed there, sat on the charts for 13 weeks, I think. Yeah. 15 to be correct. 15, was it 15? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it's funny how, how the DJs got on board because going back a little bit to that Somebody Else's Roses, mm. DJ Tony Withers lambasted that song for you and you thought your career was done. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had a they had a show called Jukebox Jury back then and uh, a television show. And I went on that and uh, with with that somebody someone else's roses and once again it got it got voted down very badly. And strangely enough, Cheryl in America got to hear about it and she wrote a blistering letter, either a letter or it wouldn't have been email, I didn't have email back then. <laughs> And um, and that uh, and that worked in my favour, you know. But Cheryl was just doing it because she was horrified that they'd given me a hard time. <laughs> and yeah, and and you said the adverse publicity it worked, it yeah, made the charts. That's so. right. Yeah. And again, what's it like memorising all those place names? Like you you finally got it down, but did you yeah. have to just sit there and read and read and constantly? Did you did you have a trick to get it down? Because I'm certain a million people have tried and and still haven't got it. Look, um, I, I've mostly sung that song twice a week for the last 55 years or something, whatever it is, a long, long time. So you're on so, autopilot now? Pretty much so. Yep. Yeah. As long as, I, as long as I get the first, the first word of each verse, the first town, yep. the rest just tumbles out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I always like at the end of it, you you sort of um, you get to the last bit and you say, including yeah. insert town name here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Have you? Has there been any times where you've actually thought you're in Edelong and you've said Edamunga? Or yes, many times, <laughs> many times. Yeah, <laughs> but then then I say including and ask the audience to sing <laughs> yeah, their <yeah>. town, <laughs> which they do always. Yeah. So you've got your own little tricks to yeah, to jog the memory. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with the success of the Australian version of I've Been Everywhere. Jeff Mack then writes an American, New Zealand, and UK versions of the song, which you record. Whose idea was it to record these international versions? Well, as I mentioned previously, the, the request came from America to, to do an American version, and we assumed that it could be a big hit in America and could have been my launch pad in, in the States as well. And then, of course, if we did an American version, it was only natural we'd do an English version and a New Zealand version. And um, so we recorded the American version and sent that off to America. I've travelled every road in this hill land Cause I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Cross the desert's bare, man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've travelled, I've had my chair, man I've been everywhere Been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Matawa, La Puma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocqueville, Baron, Killer, Ampadilla, I'm a killer I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Cross the desert's bare, man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've travelled, I've had my chair, man I've been everywhere yeah, but listen here, bud. Uh, have you been Charleston, Dayton, Louisiana, Washington, Houston, Kingston, Texas, Canada, Monterey, Faraday, Santa Fe, Tallahassee, Glen Rock, Black Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas, Tennessee, Hennessy, Chickapee, Spirit Lake, Grand Lake, Devil's Lake, Cray Lake, for Pete's sake, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert's bare, man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my chair, man. I've been everywhere. Yeah, I have, but have you been to Louisville, Nashville, Knoxville, Humberbeak, Shepherdville, Jacksonville, Waterville, Costarica, Pittsville, Springsville, Bakersfield, Riverport, Hackensack, Cadillac, Bondalac, Davenport, Idaho, Jellico, Pickle Crow, Argentina, Diamond, Zeta, Pasadena, Catalina. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Bust as a fair man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my chair, man. I've been everywhere. Yeah, that's great. But how about? Been to Pittsburgh, Clarksburg, Gravelberg, Colorado, Ellensburg, Westburg, Vicksburg, Elrond, Laramore, Atmore, Haverstone, Chattanooga, Chaska, Nebraska, Alaska, Oak, Liga, Baraboo, Waterloo, Kalamazoo, Kansas City, Sioux City, Cedar City, Dodge City. What a pity. I've been everywhere, man. Unfortunately, the publishing in America was controlled by a publishing company called Hill and Range Publishing. And uh, Hank Snow was the was the owner of Hill and Range, so he heard the song come in as what he would have considered a demo, and uh, held up the release of mine until he had recorded it, released his, and his made number one on the American country charts and a massive hit. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And people say that's really, really unfair. That's showbiz. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And did you um, help Jeff write the, any of these versions? Ah, no. Look, in all fairness, I used to do little, um, I'd, the little interjections on the thing. I'd, I'd make them up. Um, Jeff would ring me and say, "I can't quite get this one to uh, because it has to not only rhyme, but it has to have correct meter. The meter is most important with the song." It has to be you can't you, you can't skip you can't uh, deviate uh, from yeah. that. yep so Jeff and I would discuss that a bit but no I, I can't claim any part of of, of, of that marvelous song but then again you, you you know one word or one one change here because if you if you listen to uh the the latest uh, version of I've been everywhere which is 
is one line that Jeff got in the Rhiannon song. I don't know if you've yes, heard right. that. Yes, yeah, And it yeah, starts yeah. with, I've been everywhere, man. Correct. And then yeah. doesn't go anywhere near the song. That's right. But he, So he got a songwriting credit from that. He and, did indeed. Which he deserved, yeah. of course. Oh, but, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, Jeff, uh, Jeff um, uh, whom we lost just last year, he, uh, Jeff was 95, you know, 95, and uh, almost 95, and had a marvellous life. He, uh, Jeff had made a lot, a lot of money out of I've Been Everywhere. Telstra used it on an ad here. Um, an American uh, motel chain used it. Lots and lots of people. Johnny Cash, of course, recorded it eventually. And uh, and I was ever so happy for Jeff. Yeah. And, of course, this song's given you eternal, eternal musical life, basically, because you are associated with I've been everywhere. Also, yeah. it's it's your stock and trade, and yeah, yeah, it's these, been good to you. These days, if 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 people say uh, uh, you're in show business, I just say yeah. They say what's your name? I said Lucky Star. No, I can't remember that. I've been everywhere. Oh, was that your song? You know. So yes, it, it has. Uh, as I say, as I said to Jeff, um, he um, he allowed me to forge a career in this wonderful business. Yes, yeah, and you guys had a had a long association together, and uh, Jeff was quoted as saying it took him two hours to write the Australian version. He was two hours late to uh, early to a meeting. Yeah, sat down there, pulled out a map, and wrote wrote the probably the greatest song in, in yes. Australian musical history. Yeah, yeah, equal yeah. to an ACDC type song, or yeah. or Silverchair or Midnight Oil, equal yes. to any of these type songs. Yeah, how long did it take him to write these international versions? Was there a rush on to get this out? Uh, there was certainly a rush for the American one. Uh, that was uh, that that was needed immediately, because once that once the concept was out, they they could have written something similar, because the concept was just somebody rattling off all these names, you know, rhythmically and yes. um, almost almost like a chant. He, Jeff called it a chant. A lot of people call it um, what do they call it now? Uh, uh, well, it's probably called rap these rap, days. That's it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. hip hop yeah. rap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm considered to be the oldest rapper in Australia. Well, it's true though. You listen to it, and as you know, as I said, the the new you know everything changes now, and you know the kids today. I'm I'm 45, but the kids today call it hip hop. Yes, and yeah. it's as close to hip hop in uh, 1950 or 1962 as you're ever going to get. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I love the uh, the UK version. Your Cockney accent at the start of the song. Yeah. <laughs> How often did you practice that? <laughs> Uh, not too often. Not often enough. I don't think. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't do anything in, in England. <laughs> it didn't. No, no. Well, I was peddling me bike on a narrow road near Brightling Sea when along came a lorry and pulled up alongside of me. Yeah, chuck your bike up on a back cock, and with me you can ride. So I climbed up in a cabin and I settled down inside. He told me of the towns he'd seen and bashed me ear for several miles. I said, here, knock it, cock. I've been to every town in these here isles. Cause I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Never worry or care, man. I've never paid me fair, man. I've travelled, I've had me share, man. I've been everywhere. Been to Bradford, Guildford, Oxford, Little Hampton, Bedford, Chingford, Hereford, Wolverhampton, Shrewsbury, Canterbury, Aylesbury, Liverpool, Scumthorpe, Stanthorpe, Mablethorpe, Pontypool, Whitehall, Blackhall, Milton, North Devonport, Newport, Southport, Stockport. I'm a sport. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Never worry or care, man. I've never paid me fair, man. I've travelled, I've had me share, man. I've been everywhere. 
So did anyone pick the uh, English? Yeah, Lonnie Donegan picked it up and, okay. ha- and had a hit with it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then the uh, the New Zealand version. How did you remember all those names? You must have written those ones down. That was the tough one. That okay. was the, that yep. was the hardest one to do. Yeah. Words like "why kick a moo cow" and yes. "what a whopper titty" and places like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've never attempted to sing that live. Well, I was hitching a ride on the windy Hokitika Road when along came a lorry. With a high-end canvas-covered load If you're going to Hokitika, Chief uh, With me you can ride So I climbed in the cabin And I settled down inside He asked me if I'd seen a road With so many crooked miles I said, listen, Ehoa I've traveled every road in these shaky aisles Cause I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Seen the guys as their man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've traveled, I've had my chin, man I've been everywhere Buddha, Hinamo, Wangaro, Akaro, Motueka, Toro, Wadaro, Brongaro, Kororeka, Rewak, Rimataka, Tikaraka, Wangare, Nuhaka, Wanaka, Waka, Waka, Warake, Mokadino, Alakino, Mangakino, Rongatai, Matawai, Kawai, Maratai I'm the guy who's been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Seen the guys as their man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've traveled, I've had my chin, man I've been everywhere Like Cory Hart, you've been to Been to Woodville, Lomasville, Dagaville, Legatuna, Hellasville, Morrisville, Hannaville, Lutuna, Poo, Tiki, Pike, Greeky, Oba, Tiki, Wai, Tanka, Pipariki, Tiki, Tiki, Pike, Greeky, Hoki, Antimaru, Wamaru, Tokamaru, 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 I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. You've seen the guys as their man. I've breathed them out and air, man. I've traveled, I've had my gym, man. I've been everywhere. That bloody cap, what about, uh... Featherston, Palmerston, Wellington, Tiamuda, Riverton, Hamilton, Picton, Ahinamuda, Mora, Kuru, Rokuru, Kanieri, Mangatura, Dijinaroda, Mani, Boda, Kuri, Kuri, White, Taki, Poo, Kaki, Taranaki, Tika, Wada, Ro, Pada, Mata, Mata, Arawada. What's the matter? I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. You've seen the guys as their man. I've breathed them out and air, man. I've traveled, I've had my gym, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, listen, Horry. And what about the English version? Have you ever sung that live? No. No. I used to do the American version when I worked the Nevada circuit in, in America, which I did for five years, and uh, I'd do both versions. Um, but uh, I don't think I'd remember the American version now because it's so long since I've sung it. And I'd hate to try and re-remember it because I'd most probably stuff up the Australian one. Some of the biggest names in country music, such as Johnny Cash, Glenn Campbell and Willie Nelson, have recorded the song. Can you believe that that song that you first heard at the Afro-Cuban Club has had such an impact on your life and it's had a life of its own? Uh, no, of course not, no. But I, I knew it was a good song. 
I knew it was a, I knew it was a, a challenge to record. I loved Danny Kay as a kid. Remember Danny Kay? You remember Danny Kay? I know Kay? the name. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Danny Kay used to do um, fast word stuff in movies. He's a great actor as well. Whisking through the whispering woods on a wild Romany pony with a yak 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 and a yak to drack and a yak to drack to drone. He rides the gypsy, 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 the there's no way in the world you could uh, foresee what the song actually became. I'm surprised to hear that Glenn Campbell recorded it. Did he? Well, he, he he's recorded. Well, I've got a live version that I'll play. Yeah, and he's doing it with Johnny Cash, and it's quite funny because Johnny Cash is interjecting over the top of him, trying to mess him up, and they oh, he right? messes it up. So we'll we'll go into yeah. that now. It goes up through Arkansas. You enjoy doing the movies? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, Johnny. Really I think the films and the TV probably beat hitting the road every day for one night stands, I don't, don't they? Know. Well, they do, John. But it, I tell you, it's fun to go out on the road and play before yeah. a live audience. It really is. But well, you've probably played before a lot more of them than I have. Well, I don't know. I've, I've been a lot of places. I have to. I go back to a lot of them, too, I guess. Some places they I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Cross the desert, fair, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Well, Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Saratoga, Wichita, Mobile, Charlotte. The Jeff Mack version of the Swagman Rop, or the, the yep. what did you say it was originally called? The Swagman's Lament. The Swagman's <laughs> Lament. And then he obviously changed it to Swagman Rock. Yeah. And then he gave it to the to Festival, and Festival said, well, rock and roll's going to be dead within a year, so right. we, ch- yeah. we changed it to I've Been Everywhere. Correct. So yeah, yeah. with the Swagman Lament, is was that much different to the version that you put out? Um no, I, the song that the version that I heard Jeff sing at the Afro Cuban was pretty much the one that I recorded, except the prelude I think was slightly different. You know, I was humping my bluey that that bit, <laughs> which used to get laughs in America, of course, humping your bluey. Yeah. <laughs> so 1962, and you're now one of the biggest stars in the country. How did all this success feel to a former apprentice electrician from Mascot? Quite strange. Quite strange. I've never, I've never really enjoyed celebrity, as you can tell by the where I live now. <laughs> Seclusion. Yeah, um, I've always been a not a recluse, but I, but I, I, I enjoy performing in front of a, an audience. But I, but I like my own privacy. I didn't enjoy being recognised sitting in a restaurant or walking down the street. I, it always embarrassed me. But having said that. It's uh, it's nice to have your 10 seconds of glory. You know? Well, it's part of the game, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And around this time, you would have played some amazing concerts on the back of this hit single. What are some of these concerts that stand out in your memory? A lot of the uh, working in America was, was pretty sensational. I, I went straight from, from working in places like the Latin Quarter, which was um, pretty big as far as we were concerned here, to working uh, the Flamingo in, in America, in Las Vegas, and um, that was a bit daunting. Um, I worked the Flamingo and um, uh, Harvey's Wagon Wheel in Lake Tahoe and the Mapes in Reno. Some of the most famous yeah. nightclub or, or casino-type names. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, was, that was fairly daunting, I must admit. But I think the, I think the most rewarding work I ever did was uh, in Vietnam. Uh, that was um, – I think that that's what – uh, what meant more to me than than anything else 
working to guys that are under intense uh, stress, pressure, uh, loneliness, um, fear, hurt, you know, working to those guys, that, that meant more to me than anything else. And I've got a few questions about Vietnam a bit later, but while we're just talking about that now, are you, you actually funded your own tour. You found out, yourself and Bill Watson found out that the Australian troops weren't able to attend the American concerts that the Americans were putting on for their troops. Yeah. The Australian government wouldn't, wouldn't do anything for our troops, and you said, well, bugger that. Yeah. Well, the Aussies could attend the American shows, uh, but there was never any room for them. <laughs> the, the Americans, naturally enough, got, got first call on the shows, and there were only, uh, you know, Bob Hope used to go over there once or twice a year or something like that, and there were a few other shows. Um, so our, our guys were starved for entertainment. So, yeah, so I, I paid my own fare over there, and and Leon and uh, the, the guys in, in that band, the Rajas, they, um, um, that was Leon Isaacson, Mike Lawler, and John Heaton. And they sound like a bunch of rat bags. Good rat bags, but rat bags. <laughs> they were indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're all young. Yes. <laughs> that helps. Young and having fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we, they, uh, the story goes that they, were, that they were smuggled into Vietnam. I don't think that's true. But they, but they, but they, they were transported there in a strange, strange circumstances. I, uh, and I bought a ticket on a Qantas plane and went over there. And we stayed there for uh, almost six months, I think, that first, that first time. Uh, and we worked. We had to do one show a week for the Americans, and they provided us with accommodation, and we could use their PXs, which was their, their supermarkets, to buy our, our, our stuff. And then the rest of the time we were free to work for the Aussies, which we did a lot of. We used to go out and um, uh, they'd set us up on the back of a, a truck uh, as the guys were going out on, on exercises, you know. So it was, it was quite... Quite amazing, yeah. Well, we'll get back to back to Vietnam a little bit later. Sure. Don't want to sort of uh, jump yeah, jump yeah. a time walk because yeah. you've you've achieved plenty in your, your career. So, mm. and one of the major things that you were was a TV star in Australia. There was two major shows: Bandstand and Six O'clock Rock. Now, I don't want to get the two shows mixed up because there's some no. great stories amongst the two. Yeah. What was it like giving the keys to drive the Six O'clock Rock machine? Ah, well, once again, pretty scary. Everything that happens is pretty scary. <laughs> I um I, I was pretty green and uh, and Jock went off to America as Australia's ambassador of, of song a self appointed title but off he went yes. and they asked me would I actually co compare with Tanya Halesworth who was uh, ABC newsreader and because um, it was on the ABC six yes, o'clock rock yes. yes yes which of course I did and it was uh, a wonderful experience but I I don't think I was terribly good at it I I, I remember stuffing up. The names of a lot of people I was introducing. I think Salminio was one of them, to be honest. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and but television was new, and you, you watch anything back from that era, and everybody's learning as they're going. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's, it's, a, and it was all live, straight to air. Six o'clock yeah. rock was, yes. Somebody drop yeah. a handkerchief and you're on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're also a bandstand favourite. What were your memories of being a regular on this top rating show? It it was quite uh, quite a, a, an honour to be part of the bandstand family back then. Uh, there was uh, a, 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 I say select group, and I guess it was. There was uh, the Allen Brothers, um, Cole, of course, Cole Joy, Judy Stone, uh, Patsy Ann Noble, Greg Anderson. I'm sure there were some other people, but they the were, Deltones. The Delis were part of the bandstand family, yes, um, and uh, which meant that we we got to appear uh, more regularly than the people who weren't part of the family. And, and we got to do some more interesting stuff as well. 
I remember I um, I got to sing um, some kind of jazz numbers um, with that with Alan Dean on the show, doing duets with Alan Dean. Have you heard it's in the stars? Next July we collide with Mars. Well, did you ever? What a swell party, swell party, a swell again. And I, I did some dance routines. Well, I've got a question about that <laughs> yeah, dance routine. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the song that you do this, and I'm not overly keen on the song, it's called Jada. Jada, yeah. Jada, 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 Jing, Jing, Jing. Jada, 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 Jing, Jing, Jing. It's a very simple little melody. If you want to learn to sing along with me, it goes Jada, Jada. But what did impress me was the dance routine you perform with Shirley Reagan. You may not have challenged Fred Astaire, but you had dance moves. Being a singer-songwriter, how hard was it to, to step out from behind the mic stand and do a choreographed dance routine? That's the only time I ever did it. <laughs> okay, yeah. and it's on YouTube, so anyone want to have yeah, a look, right. it's there. Yeah. And you don't miss a step, you do well. Yeah, yeah, but you'll notice at the end I'm the most grateful man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> what was easier, learning I've been everywhere or the dance routine? Uh, learning I've been everywhere, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, unlike Six O'Clock Rock, the bandstand performers recorded their songs during the week rather than sing them live. And I feel some of your recordings from this show are equal or superior to some of the singles that were released by Festival. Here are some of my favourites from this time. Wings of a Dove, Back by the Deltones. When evil comes, the body grows weak. Body grows weak. The spirit grows strong. Spirit grows strong. When these things be said, he doesn't forget. And a very Bobby Darren type style, that's how it went. We were very lucky to have a, a fantastic band, uh, an, an orchestra. Uh, sometimes they'd um, they spared no expense on on um, booking musicians. Beatles Young was the guy who led the band, Bob Beatles Young, and he was a, a great musician. And he used to do most of the arrangements as well. 
And so we were allowed to, I think it was mainly done in, the, in ATA, which is Cold Joy's recording studio. We were able to go on there and and redo the, the, the vocals if uh, much better than only getting one shot straight to air. You again teamed up with Jeff Mack after the success of I've Been Everywhere and recorded June in June. I did. I did. And that was, um, we, we mounted a tour after the release of June and June, which had reasonable success um, on radio. And, uh, and we ran a competition to find um, June in June. And um, I don't know if, if your listeners know the song, but it was, uh, I got to meet June in June in June. Got to make a journey to June. I, in Lightning Ridge, I met a, uh, 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 a midge called called midge, an opal she gave to me. So it was all about different girls in different towns throughout Australia. Now I've got a girl, and her name is June. She lives down south in Juney, and we're gonna get married in the month of June. I guess it all sounds kind of loony Cause I gotta meet June in June in June Gotta make a journey to June Due to wet June in June in June Bound to make a journey to June I met a girl called May in May in Maitland I took her out to tea But I told her straight it was only a date My heart was in June Yep, I gotta meet June in June in June Gotta make a journey to June Due to wet June in June in June Bound to make a journey to June I nearly he fell for a bell in Belmont She appealed to me But I gave that ring to a pretty little thing Who lives down in June Yep, I gotta meet June in June in June Gotta make a journey to June Due to wet June in June in June Bound to make a journey to June Met a girl called Liz Had a biz in Brisbane She had a crush on me But none compared with the one so fair Who lives down in June so uh, yeah, so we found the original June in June, and I and I called her about I don't know maybe ten years ago. So it was fifty years down the track, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we well, gave her some fame, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and on the B side was a song you had written, "I Love You So." Cause with that long blonde hair and those eyes of blue I'd give anything to be with you So let me hug you and kiss you I love you so let me tell you now I love you so tell the people that I love you so sing it again I love you so You also wrote Cuddle Closer Cuddle up for real, close tonight, oh well Squeeze me baby with all of your might a little Loving isn't much to ask at all So come and cuddle closer, let's have a ball And you also wrote songs for other people And one of note was Patsy Ann Noble As a songwriter, were you often writing And what was your process of writing songs? I think I was a rotten songwriter I'd, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather sing songs that were written by good songwriters Okay <laughs> 
But again, you have a talent that a lot of people can't write even rotten songs. So to, yeah. to even write a rotten song is yeah. is something. I'm just halfway through uh, my latest CD, and I've recorded one of my son's songs on it. My son now lives in Nashville. Craig, yes. Yeah, Craig, and um, he's a great songwriter. And I've just recorded uh, one of his songs called Your Voice, and I'm looking forward to I haven't heard the finished job yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing it. When can I see you? When are you free? We both got a thousand different places to be. Let's pencil in a night. That's just you and me. Cause your arms are my favorite place. Your lips are my favorite taste. Your heart is my saving grace When I need to be found But your voice Is my favorite And, and you say you're a crummy songwriter. That, that's what you're saying. I didn't say that. <laughs> but at the same time, you've released a song called I've Been Everywhere, which, as we've said, it's it's become one of the most famous songs in Australia and one of the most famous songs in country music in around the world. Very often, lightning doesn't strike once. So you were, you're probably never, ever going to top that song. No matter what happened or whatever you put out after that, you, you, if you climb to the top of the mountain, it very rarely you're going to climb there twice. So, And it's not saying everything after that was was a, a downward slide you know it, it's a pinnacle that you can be proud of and as, as you, people hear through today's episode you've had some great songs throughout time and you just had a monster hit very lucky to have a monster hit yeah Sheldon, thank you for that. Yeah, I've uh, I've had a, a, an absolutely marvelous career I'm over 35 you may have noticed <laughs> me too <laughs> Uh, but I've I've been performing for sixty years this year. I've been performing, and um, and not many people have uh, the privilege of being able to do that. Yeah, I, look, I, as I said, I, I've uh, I think I've had a marvelous career, and I and unfortunately, people still want to hear me sing songs, and, and I'll keep singing songs for them as long as they ask me to do so because I love performing. I'm a an absolute stage. Fanatic. I I love being on stage. That's where that's where my b- best times are spent on stage behind a microphone. And yep. uh, so I'll, I'll keep on doing that as long as people ask me to, or until I can no longer sing to the degree that I would like to be able to. So far, so good. I say to people, uh, should I taught my son to get into show business? So you got to ask two questions. The first question is, do you want to be rich or do you want to have a good life? And if they say he wants to be rich, say, well, tell him not to get into show business. Get into real estate. <laughs> get into real estate. Yeah. So it's uh, 1962 still, and you record another Jeff Mack composition, Hot Rod. Now, I like Hot Rod as a song. It's got a great Australian feel to it, but I reckon the record label or the producer, whoever whoever put the uh, album together, the, the single together, should have ditched the car engine sound. I suppose they were trying for a Shangri-La's leader of the pack type engine roar, but I reckon the song would have had so much more life if, if they, they just let you sing it straight. <laughs> I bought a 34 Ford and I painted it red I ripped off the muffler and I shaved off the head Added dual copywriters, I went for a ride That rod was so hot, I bloomin' near fried Hot rod, they call me 
Hot Rod, they said. Hot Rod, they call me. Burning up the road ahead. I took the for a run on Highway 31. I found a straight stretch and I gave her the gun. 80 in second, I whipped her into top. Then had a game of chicken with a motorbike cop. Hot Rod, they call me. Hot Rod, they said. Hot Rod, they call me. Burning up the road ahead. Hurtling down the highway with the motor really revving. I went into a corner doing 97. Up bloomed the semi. I went for the brakes. That's all that it takes. Hot Rod, they call me. Hot Rod, they said. Hot rod, they call me. Burning up the road ahead. When the smoke cleared, I opened my eyes. I was in a big cabin, all lit up with fires. Was that crash fatal? You ask me, my friend. I tell you, I was killed, but I'm burning again. Hot rod, they call me. Hot rod, they said. Hot rod, they call me. I'm burning like I'm hot, but I'm dead. Did you ever sing this song live? No. No, um, and and the reason we had the the the, the hot rod sounds because the song was called Hot Rod, so they wanted an engine an engine sound. But radio refused to play it because uh, at that because they they said it was encouraging kids to speed. I I thought totally the opposite. Yeah, it's uh, I never end, got that. At the end, the guy came to a very sticky end, you know. Um, but anyway, that uh, that was a. That was a uh, total failure. <laughs> But again, it's a, it's another song where, as I said, we'll, you know, we've just listened to it, and it's another song that it's got life. Yeah. And again, you and Jeff Mack obviously had some sort of connection there that yeah. you you worked well professionally. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff uh, Jeff was full of ideas, absolutely full of ideas. I, I, I tell you what, just um, about four years ago now, the people uh, who live on the old Hume Highway, which of course is bypassed now by the freeway, so they had a they formed a committee. And they wanted to promote the old Hume Highway, so that people would start maybe driving back through Holbrook and Gundagai and those lovely towns along the old Hume Highway, as they do on Route 66 in America. People, I mean, you can bypass Route 66, but people choose to go into those lovely towns along the way. So they asked uh, me, "Would I re-record? I've been everywhere, not for general release." Just to promote the Hume Highway, uh, so I immediately rang Jeff. Now at this time, Jeff would have been ninety, uh, uh, yeah, ninety, ninety-two. Yes, yeah. So Jeff got stuck into it and uh, and came up with the, with the the old Hume Highway. Yeah. Well, we'll have a listen to that now. Well, I was cruising along the old Hume Highway, just wondering where to go when a couple of travellers pulled me over. And asked me, did I know of any towns or cities on this old historic run? 
where they could stop and stay a while and maybe have some fun. I said, jump up in the wagon, folks. I'm gonna make your day. And I'll show you some of the wonders on the good old Hume Highway. Cause we're going everywhere, man. Going everywhere, man. This road will get us there, man. Without a worry or care, man. Lots of fun to share, man. On this old Hume Highway. We're going to Aubrey, Elmer, Nalpine, Kulak, Berrima, Banala, Bonawaka, Razorback, Menangle, Maroolan, Malangata, Fargo, Warwick Farm, Wilby, Bulgama, Kalkalo, yes, Yaguna, Yandera, Seymour, Kilmore, Tarmore, Magalore, lots more. Go on everywhere, man, but go on everywhere, man. This road will get us there, man, without a worry or care, man. Lots of fun to share, man, on this old Hume Highway. We're going to Tarkata, Towering, Violetown, Karamar, Longwood, Camden, Picton, Braemar, Yeroa, Norilla, Springhurst, Holbrook, Bookham, Wodonga, Edamoga, Teller, Wangaratta, Mingay, Winton, Chiltern, Coburg, Goldburn, Craigaburn, Lost Alone. Going everywhere, man, we're going everywhere, man. This road will get us there, man, without a worry or care, man. Lots of fun to share, man, on this old Hume Highway. So yeah, there's the uh, the Hume Highway Road specific version of of the song that you came up with. But I reckon um, the, the well, they say I've been everywhere has been recorded by more than 130 recording artists. That's bona fide recording artists over its time. Countless uh, people who've never got a recording contract have, have sung it also. Now, I don't know if this has happened before, but you've even covered yourself. And of course, there's the international versions that we've talked about. And then we just heard there the uh, the Hume Highway version. But you also did a duo with uh, the legendary Aussie Frankie Davidson. So you've actually covered yourself several times. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Twilight Zone yeah, type thing. Yeah. Frankie's my lovely mate. And um, we decided that we'd, we'd do a, a version called uh, We've Been Everywhere which was Frank and I, and... Um, well, we'll take a listen to that now. Okay. We've been everywhere. We've been humping these blueies now for over 30 years or more. From Darwin down to Adelaide, then overseas to every shore. Ask us, is there anywhere we ain't been in this place? Hey, listen, pal, the only spot we've missed is out of space. Don't reckon there's a place to sing that we ain't been inside. So settle back and lend an ear, we'll take you for a ride. Cause we've been everywhere, man. We've been everywhere, man. Crossing as it's bare, man. We breathe the mountain air, man. Of travel we've had our chair, man. We've been everywhere. Been a while, long, been a long, do a long, wonder, I wouldn't go, did you go, wrong, 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 now, a cow, a barrow, a balabar, a coba, walk up, babada, marabara, budgie boy, edge roy, back malloy, will a loo, gunny do, pull a loo, a loo, a loo, over to you. Kilowalla, bingo, a kuna, a arrowhead, paladella, new barrella, witchy, talabella, Toronto. 
Rapidilla, what a killer! Okay, Frank, let's take it home. Peter Helen's Val, Sandal, Thagamita, Chinchilla, Radaval, Ruby Val, Lutus Val, and Macadilla. Kilcoy, Kuroy, Kingaroy, Thunderman, Dar, Jeremy, and Jarrah, Mormon, Jarrah, Prussian, Yamba, Yellowroy, Yarraka, Chillico, Jindaloo, Jericho, Tambo, way to go! We've been everywhere, man! We've been everywhere, man! Cross the desert's bare, man! We breathe the mountain air, man! But we've never been to see King's Cross, where Sydney's side is. King's Cross, Frank. We'll soon fix that luck. Taxi! So, um, Frank, uh, we just we went to the studio, we put down a backing track, and then uh, we sort of made it up as we went. But Frank did, he, he learnt a, a German verse, and then uh, I think we both did a, a Vietnamese verse, and then I did um, part of the English version. And the American version, and it, 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 uh, Jeff once said to me that that was his his favourite version of the song. Bad income, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And and so there's always been these versions, and I, I've been able to find quite a few that we've been listening through to today. But they said there's Singaporean versions and Japanese versions. Yeah. Did you have anything to do with these these versions? Jeff Jeff wrote the the Japanese version for me to sing, and uh, I gave up. Maybe maybe I should have persevered, but, but I was did. it in Japanese or was it an English no, just, version? Just, town, just Japanese town names spoken yeah. in English. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You didn't have to learn Japanese to. No. To no, no. 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 And then uh, he also he also wrote a Chinese version, which in fact I asked him to write. It was only it was only just one one verse in Chinese because uh, I was I hosted a, a tour to China and it was used to promote the tour and that was that was good fun. So in Sydney, you become friends with the visiting American Billy Eckstein. One of the many hits of his was I Apologize. If I made you blue I've had heartaches too Now I beg of you Forgive me From the bottom of my heart, dear, I apologize. Billy encourages you to head to the United States and try your luck, and, and Eckstein goes on to have an amazing career himself, even becoming a, a Grammy Hall of Famer. So we're talking about someone at the top of their game. How, how did that friendship come about? I met Billy out here. Bill Watson, my manager, then manager, was promoting Billy Eckstein. Bill Watson used to uh, promote shows at the stadium, as Lee Gordon used to, but for a different promotion company. He had his own promotion company. He was called the Headliners. Headliners, correct. So he had uh, Billy Eckstein at at the stadium, and um, I didn't support Billy there. I I think that was before you had to have an Australian support on the show. But I met Bill through uh, Billy Eckstein through Bill Watson. And then uh, Mr. B, we used to call him uh, Billy Eckstein, came along and caught uh, a couple of my shows, and I finished up doing a special with him uh, for a, uh, one of the television stations in Melbourne, and he said that he considered uh, that maybe I should have a go in America. 
And as I say, just after that, uh, Jimmy Rogers was out here as well. And uh, and I did a TV special with Jimmy Rogers as well through Bill Watson once again. And so Bill was obviously one of the biggest movers and shakers in the Australian industry at the was. time. Yeah, yeah. He was, Bill was, the, the I think, the, the best manager that had, had been produced in Australia by then. I'm sure there are good managers now, but back then Bill was certainly the best. Um, well, he seems to be the most switched on one. Lee Gordon was a bit scatterbrain, as in uh, well, a scattergun approach. I shouldn't call yeah. it scatterbrain, but a scattergun approach. Yeah. And he had Al Heffernan and Max Moore sort of cleaning up after him Correct. and, and yeah. succeeding along the way. But Bill Watson seemed to be the uh, the more stable of the two. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lee Gordon never, ever professed to be a manager. He ever ever only professed to be a, a, a promoter, and he was a great promoter. He was a great showman. But Bill was a promoter as well, but also was uh, a, a very respected manager. At one point there, he managed Digby Richards, the Deltones, myself, uh, I think Wayne Cornell. He had about four or five people in his so stable. So Australian rock and roll royalty yeah, yeah. Under, in his stable. Yeah. And he also promoted people. He brought Chuck Berry out to Australia. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. So did you perform on any of these sort of stadium shows? Did you ever perform at the Sydney Stadium? I did, yes. Uh, but but um, I didn't perform with any of the rock any of the rock concerts because they were all Lee Gordon. And because I was managed by Bill Watson, I was in a different camp that was yes yeah so lee gordon didn't book me for his shows and they're not going to promote someone from a different camp or vice versa yes yeah so so that was fine that was fine but i uh i worked i worked with the mouseketeers at sydney stadium and uh i did a couple of fundraisers there at the sydney stadium as well and uh yeah i i I wasn't as regular as people like johnny o'keefe or or the deltos but um but i i was there often enough to to remember the smell of the dressing room so how did you find the old tin shed? <laughs> it was a wrestling arena, of course, and the dressing rooms were um they didn't have they didn't have makeup mirrors, they had massage tables. <laughs> and then you had to run up this ramp to get to the revolving stage. We used to call it a revolting stage, and it was it was quite funny. Kids could throw stuff at you as you're running up this ramp to get there. <laughs> So you never never thought you were going into the ring at any stage, did you? And uh, but I do have nightmares about about that. Okay, being, yeah. being a prize fighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have had a guitar, so that gave you a weapon, at least <laughs> a bit of a a bit of a, an edge. Yeah. In America, you signed with Dot Records, and you played, as you mentioned before, some of the top showrooms and top casinos. What was it like hitting the road in the United States? Well, I can't I can't really say that I hit the road. I was um, I was managed by um, uh, Milton Deutsch, who was uh, Billy Eckstein's manager over there. I'm not managed by him, but he was my agent over there. So I I didn't I didn't do it really tough in America. I I went straight into working the, the Nevada circuit, which was unbelievably great. You know, so I, I I had to I had to audition a, a band and but I used the same band all the time and, and I do the the the, uh, the circuit for three months which I do a month in Vegas a month in Reno a month in Lake Tahoe and then I come back and live in L A for three months I'd, I'd stay there for six months each time and record I was recording with Dot Records and my producer at Dot Records was Jimmy Rogers okay he wow. used, to, used yes. to produce my records for me and I also had uh, the Jordanaires backing me on one of my 
one of my records with uh, with with uh, with uh, Jimmy Rogers. So and of course the Jordanaires were the Elvis, Elvis Presley. Exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it was pretty exciting stuff. Oh, certainly. And yeah. and this is this is coming on the back of the success that you've had in Australia. So you must yeah. have felt on top of the world. I did. I was uh, twenty five and king of the world. Yeah. <laughs> One of your releases on Dot Records is Poor Little Jimmy Brown. Here he comes, poor little Jimmy Brown. Mm, he's lonely and blue, he's the saddest guy in town. Well, Lord, he'd found someone whose love would be true. But she taught Jimmy Brown a thing or two. Look at him now, poor little Jimmy Brown. Got a touch for the gal who put him down What was it like recording in these new studios in the States? Totally different to the festival studios, I'm sure. Yeah, it was different, uh, uh, different, uh, much bigger, much working with musicians that you weren't familiar with. But it was, I always loved the professional aspect of, of working in America. Everything was, in Australia, in some ways it's a blessing, in, in other ways it's a bit... It's a bit off-putting that you you never actually got to rehearse in Australia. You still don't. I walk into a club now with a bag of music. I put my charts up in front of the band, have a quick talk through, and then they play my show exactly as if they'd rehearsed it 20 times before. We're We're the luckiest country in the world with our musicians. They're fabulous musicians. Over there, they, I'm sure they had fabulous musicians as well, but they wouldn't back you unless they'd rehearsed it at least once or twice. And, uh, and it was the same in the studio. I, I thought you lost a bit of spontaneity because of all that rehearsing. Okay, yeah. yes. But I did love that song, Poor Little Jimmy Brown. It was a lovely song. Well, the B-side to that is a song called Blisters. To me, Blisters is one of the catchiest songs you've recorded, and it's a shame it wasn't a huge hit. Great big blisters on my bloodshot eyes I'm looking at that long-legged female of her head What she does simply walking down the sidewalk of the city Makes me think about some street cat getting fed She's got a whole lot of motion in her soul I know, but her soul's not the place she lets it show Oh, yeah She kind of moves me, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. She got a motion, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 
bills on my fingertips from reaching in my pocketbook and picking out the bills. And I got tiny white blisters in my throat from trying to ease my nervous tension, taking all them patent pills. And ever since we started running around from place to place, I just can't eat a bite to keep my stomach settled down. Oh, yeah. She kind of moves me. Whoa, yeah. Oh, yeah. She got a motion. Whoa, yeah. Oh, yeah. She gonna get me. What's your thoughts on that song? I think it's a great song. I think it's a great song. I think that 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 record was one of the best things I ever did. I believe. Uh, so Jimmy Rogers produced them. Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft from uh, from the uh, the backing band, the backing group. He was the voice, the deep voice on on Blisters. Okay. Yes. The and, uh, the American version of Pee Wee. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think it was a great record. I think it should have. I thought it should have charted in America. But who am I? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, it's a song that now has has its another life for YouTube, and and yeah. it, it lives on, and, and and podcasts like this. So it's sure. it's certainly not lost to the uh, to the history books. It's, yeah. it's it's got a it's got a life. Yeah, yeah. Another release of yours around this time was the uh, flamenco ballad, "The Three Trees." Did you record the Three Trees in the USA? No, that was recorded here in Australia, and um, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. It did get some airplay in America for some somehow or other. I don't know. I I never I never sent it to America. I don't, I don't think the recording company they may have. It was recorded with festival, but it was a gorgeous song, and it's a, it's the story of Easter. I I should sing it again at Easter time each year. But so you don't? No, I should. <laughs> were three trees upon a hill And they spoke to the whispering breeze They made three wishes there on the hill And the wishes they made were these The first tree wished he could be a fine bed Fit for a king to lie on, he said The second galleon wanted to be To carry a king way over the sea I am what I am and I be what I be that's how it is, so said the third tree I have only one wish that I would wish on And that's to be remembered long after I'm gone 
A woodman came by and he felled up a tree. Oh, now fine royal bed I will be. But was it in scorn or was it in anger? He found himself fashioned into a manger. The second tree groaned as he fell to the ground. Oh, now a galleon soon I'll be bound. But was it a miracle he turned out to be? A boat for a fisherman on Galilee. The third tree was left, he was left all alone. Still he remained, was still growing on Till with branches a-twist and twigs all a-toss He found himself fashioned into a cross Though he was rough-hewn, it was his destiny To be the sign for all men to see And the wind from the valley kept murmuring on You will One of your strengths was your versatility as a performer. However, I get the feeling that this also confused the record label bosses who didn't really know how to market you properly at the time, or what songs to release and in what genre. There's not too many performers that can put out a song like Three Trees, and then their next release is, yeah, how you going, mate? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least they were all Aussie comps. And I, I I like to think that um, that before it became trendy to to release good Aussie material with Aussie sounding diction and and pronunciations, you know, I was I was doing it with uh, how you going, mate? Now if you're born in Aussie, you've an accent, ain't it great? From Perth right up to down, understood in every state. So if you drop your G's and nature's don't start feeling sore. Say wacko, call and mow and add a little more. <laughs> Did you was ya? Are you gonna? How you going, mate? Betcha, betcha, let you get your blimey, get it straight. Dink and Bonzel and Zadina, give a bloke a break. Did you was ya? Are you gonna? How you going, mate? Now look fair, Dinka, mate. The English can't speak English, that's what my fair lady said. <laughs> but in our fuzzy and all Aussie, ain't we all well read? Now in our universities and up round Canberra way, just listen to our politicians, you will hear them say, Ah, oh, did you, was ya, are you gonna, how you going, mate? Betcha, betcha, let you get your blimey, get it straight. Well, Dinka, Bonzel and Zadina, give a bloke a break. Did you, was you, are you gonna, are you going, mate? Yeah, cop this, mate. Now when the Hopra house is built, whenever that may be, the first night they will bring in stars for everyone to see. Now Sydney's Lord Mayor will be there to make a speech or two, and when they pull the curtain up, he will say to you, Ah, oh, did you, was you, are you gonna, are you going, mate? Betcha, betcha, let you get your blimey, get it straighter. Drink them, Bonzel and Zadina, give a bloke a breaker. Did you, was you, are you gonna, are you going, mate? Ah, oh, did you, was you, are you gonna, are you going, mate? Betcha, betcha, let you get your blimey, get it straighter. Drink them, Bonzel and Zadina, give a bloke a break. Did you, was you, are you gonna, are you going, mate? 
on now, come on, fair go, mate. Well, another one is Down at the TAB. Down at the TAB, yeah, yeah. Was it a promotional song for the TAB that has just come that had just come into to existence, or was that just a song that you did? It was never re- intended as a promotional song, no. And I think the TAB had only just started. And I guess who, uh, the gentleman who wrote the song, um, it wasn't me, thought it was a, a, a catchy, a, a catchy phrase, and maybe he was hoping that, that the TAB would pick it up. I don't know. Get your money on quick, get your money on fast Get the horse comes first or the horse comes last You won't win if your money ain't in Down at the TAB, oh well now let's all get in the car The tab ain't very far And on the way we'll grab your father out of the public bar He ought to have some dough, it's Friday night you know And I've got the name of a trotter here that's really set to go So get your money on quick, get your money on fast If the horse comes first or the horse comes last You won't win if your money ain't in Down at the TAB, oh well well, the tab is here to stay. RSP's had his day. He'll have to move out of that penthouse out of Double Bay. He's got to realize things are no longer golden. He won't get this year's Buick made. He'll make do with a Holden. So get your money on quick. Get your money on fast. If the horse comes first or the horse comes last, you won't win if your money ain't in. Down at the TAB. Oh, well, one thing I'd like to state. Uh, there's just one change I'd make. Uh, they don't supply us any seats. They make us stand and wait. It's real hard on your feet A place hat with your cons With seats we can sit with a couple of cans of beer and a pound of bronze So get your money on quick, get your money on fast If the horse comes first or the horse comes last You won't win if your money ain't in Down at the TAB Well I'll bet the boys in blue I just can't believe it's true We're making off course bets and there is nothing they can do Well I don't know about your son But I reckon what they've done By making the whole thing legal Why they've taken out all the fun So get your money on quick Get your money on fast If the horse comes first or the horse comes last You won't win if your money ain't in the B-side to Down at the TAB again showed your versatility. A reggae-style song about a mother kangaroo called No More Little Joeys. Bob Marley sung about buffalo soldiers, but to my knowledge, this is the only time a reggae song ever mentions kangaroos or joeys. So you've got another first there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a cute song, No More Little Joeys, Ma. Most mother kangaroos are satisfied with one a hopping in and out of the pouch and having lots of fun but strange things happening just last week down by kootabooda mundaway three baby kangaroos jumped out of one pouch and i heard one sadly say now my little joey's mouth is clouded toward it out now my little joey's mouth you don't know when to stop You've broken every record, ma You've proved that you're no flop No, ma, let Joe is ma Or we get out and out Now we quite understand How proud that you must be Most other mums have only one But you've come up with three Now, mama, please don't get me wrong and don't say I'm a grouch But if you have in mind Four of a kind You'd better rent another pouch Now my little Joey's mouth Is crowded to the top 
Now my little Joe is mine You don't know when to stop You've broken every record, mine. You prove that you're no flap Now my little Joe is mine I will get out and hop and, and once again, they didn't get enough. They didn't get enough exposure. I don't think. I guess they just weren't. Um, you see, to make a hit record, th- there's no formula. All you can do is release a song that you think the public are going to accept at that point in time. That's why people like LRB, Little River Band, were so fortunate that they, and clever, that it seems like all of the songs they released during that period when they had all the hit songs, all caught the imagination of, of the record-buying public. Some say they went to America and and they, they lost their name, but that's another story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's it's a matter of timing. It's so much luck is involved, you know. So we're talking about Vietnam before, and your own career in Jeff Max has always been intertwined. I like the synergy of Mac getting his start in show business by entertaining the troops in Borneo in World War II and you doing the same for the troops in Vietnam. Yeah, I don't. I don't think um, Jeff certainly. Uh, I don't think Jeff was doing much at all before he became a troop entertainer. I. I think I had become established before I just went to Vietnam. It would have been foolish for me not to, because they needed somebody that they could relate to. For the same reason, I never went to entertain in Afghanistan because the young blokes and ladies there wouldn't have related. To me, so they they sent uh, people like Casey Chambers and that that uh, that uh, generation, you know. Uh, so I don't I don't think I don't think entertaining the troops in Vietnam was a genesis for me, but it was it it formed a lot of relationships that uh, that have that have uh, been been good for for me, good for my soul. Well, I'm sure there's some very hairy moments performing in a war zone and, and living in a war zone. How did you cope with the constant threat of the Viet Cong? Well, it wasn't constant. There were a few instances where we we mainly lived in Saigon uh, during the, that the first the first trip there. Uh, when you say the constant threat, I suppose there is always people were being landmined and and um, you know you move a push bike and it'd have a plastic explosive in it and. Um, but that that never that never occurred to us. I said we were young kids. It was a bit a bit of an adventure. There was a few times when when we were performing and uh, a red alert would go off, so they had to put you in a in a jeep with sandbags on the floor, give you an M sixteen, and and drive you off to somewhere else, somewhere safer, or you'd have to um, run to the bunkers and get in the bunkers and um, hope that it wasn't a land attra- a land attack. That happened a few times, but. But not too often. There's a there's a famous photo of you performing in Nui Dat, and you're uh, you're on a, a makeshift stage, and the the troops are sort of spread out on, on a hillside, sort of looking yeah. down, watching you. It's yeah. it's it's and it's a it's an amazing photo to think of. They had they had their little taste of home while they're in this foreign land, and they're they're under threat. Yeah, that was called the Dust Bowl, <laughs> Nui. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it's special stuff, mate. Really, really special stuff. And um, most, not most, but a lot of the guys 
who were there during that time. Um, I, I'm still casually in touch with them. I still do a lot of shows for one RAR because they were the blokes who were there first time I was I went to Vietnam. They were in um, out at uh, Benoit. Uh, and every every show, I, almost every show I do, somebody come up and say, um, uh, "Do you remember Six Ra in uh, in uh, Vang Tao or something like that?" You know? I say, "Yeah, of course. I remember. We used to they had a crazy horse. You used to have to ride when you were half drunk." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it go, it goes to show where where you were at as a person too, Lucky, because you know we're not going into the political dramas of the time, but these troops weren't weren't revered as the Anzac troops. Back home, they, they were given the raw deal. They were sent there by their own country, and and these guys took 10, 15 years for them to get their own march. They Yeah, they, they were treated very poorly, but at the time, you didn't. You treated them with respect. Well, they deserved respect. They Most of them had no um, – uh, they were there because they were told to go there. If, if they weren't regular regular army or, or, or services, they were – the ballot was in then, so you know if you if you lost the ballot or won the ballot, whatever way you look at it, off you went. So um, they, uh, you know, I, I thought they were treated disgracefully when they came back home. But that's that's turned around now to a certain degree. Thankfully, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they weren't even allowed to go to an RSL club. How disgraceful! Is that? <laughs> it's shocking, isn't it? Yep. And you think you look at that and you go, "Wow, it's just yes. it's, it was a national shame." But mm. as I said, you you weren't part of that national shame. You were you were on the good side. You were you weren't the dark side. You were on the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know who were on the. I don't know who the dark side were. To be honest with you, I don't really know. Most people I speak to say exactly as you that they thought it was disgraceful the way our guys were treated. But some people didn't. Somebody treated them disgracefully when they came. Somebody back. was on the dark side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't. I don't know where it came from. I don't. Uh, why? I guess there are a lot of people who objected to Australia being in Vietnam. I, I objected to us being in Vietnam as well. But they were there. We were there. So you got, if you're there, you got to you got to help out, do the best you can, and support your own. Yeah. One of the stories that is, is stuff of legends, and it's a, it's about the uh, the time that you're in a jeep, and uh, you're with the Aussie War correspondent Pat Burgess, and you attempt to make it back to uh, to your hotel, the Grand Hotel in Da Nang. Can you fill us in on this this story and your little <laughs> adventure that night? There were the local police were called white mice, um, and the, I guess because they were quite diminutive people, and they always dressed in white, but they had these great big six shooters on their hip, and uh, and they were always a bit trigger happy, and quite rightly so, because they were scared about. Viet Cong. So we were coming back and there was a curfew. There was a curfew, I think was six, I think it was six o'clock back then that they changed the curfew time all the time. So we were coming back to um, the Grand Hotel. There's a misname for you. The Grand Hotel. <laughs> Wasn't so grand? <laughs> Not so grand, no. Um, the Grand Hotel in Da Nang um, after curfew. One of the dignitaries was uh, was eating in the in the restaurant in the Grand Hotel. One of the Vietnamese majors, yeah. Vietnamese, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure who it was, but he must have been a pretty important guy because there was a, one of the top brass. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of people surrounding the the hotel and a white mouse at the gate. So uh, Pat said, "Don't worry about it." He said, "Just drive, drive through." So we were fired upon and <laughs> and and lived through it. Live to tell the tale. Well, yeah. apparently the white mice were they weren't they weren't much in in the aiming department. Thank so God. luckily, luckily, thank God. <laughs> but you got back to your room, and uh, apparently there's a couple of bottles of Chivalry Regal, and you uh, you yeah. both polished them off. We and- did indeed. Well, we actually polished off a, a, a bottle before we broke through the ranks. I must admit. <laughs> so that may have given you the courage to uh, to did, run the gauntlet. It, it did indeed. The first time you're there, you're 25. It must have changed your outlook on life. 
Yes, it did. It, uh, I think any war zone has uh, a sobering effect on anybody. I've, I, I think John Lennon got it right when he said, you know, it would be lovely if somebody threw a war and nobody came. I just think wars are the most <sighs> stupid thing that society involves itself with. Nobody wins. Everybody loses, particularly the poor buggers that live their lives. You keep on seeing things about the Second World War and the First World War. And world wars. <laughs> What's the point? You think we would have learned our lesson by now? Well, you think so, but you know what? We're teetering on the brink again right now. I, I, I think it's within our psyche to want to fight other people, except me. <laughs> <laughs> a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> It was around this time you were diagnosed with diabetes. How'd that change your life? Oh, dramatically, dramatically. Um, I think if I hadn't become diabetic, I'd be dead by now. I gave up smoking. I gave up eating stupidly. I still, uh, I, I, I don't consider myself to be a professional diabetic, but I, but I do look after myself a lot better than I did back then. Um, I control my diabetes quite well. I, I in fact, I um, I produced a series for for um, the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital for for the diabetic patients there, which uh, uh, I, I think they they still use. Diabetes is a thing that can be controlled to a point. There are things that will happen to your body uh, anyway, no matter how well you, you look after yourself, because it's the disease of the small uh, veins and arteries in your body. But if you look after yourself, you can live, uh, you can live a, quite a, an active life. I've been diabetic now for I don't know, 45 years, I think, type 1 diabetic, and um, I inject five times a day and, um, and love it. <laughs> Well, it hasn't slowed you down, or has it? Um, it's it, it makes you be a little bit more circumspect about about the way you live your life. And again, highlighting the link with Jeff Mack, you team up with Mack's old show business partner, Lucky Grills, himself a diabetic, and you, you put together a public campaign for the Diabetes Foundation. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, – I, I still do work for, for kids' diabetes. The, the little people, they're the, they're the people that, that they, they get the, the rough end of the stick. You know, it's tough to be four, five, three, two, you know, and be diabetic. They, they don't understand – so it's, it's tough for little kids. But fortunately, they have things like um, insulin pumps now for them and uh, uh, they catheterize their blood glucose monitors. So it's, they're coming up with new stuff all the time for kids, but it's still tough for little people. If you're a little person or if you're a mother and father with a little person with diabetes, uh, tough gig. Medical science is starting to move forward on these on these things. And, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th I think I think in the foreseeable future, diabetes will be maybe not cured, but certainly controlled perfectly. Yeah, that's our hope. Another great song you did in, in the late sixties on on bandstand. I'm assuming it was was what did I say. Now, 
with the red red song. She can do the twist all night long, all right. Hey, hey. well, all right now. Yeah. If you see me in misery, come on, baby, sit by me, all right. Hey, hey. well, all right now. So you start to transition away from the the rock and pop side of things. Well, as you said, you were never never a hard rocker, but in the, in the early days, and and as as you listen to what I'd say there, you you knew how to rock, but you start to move away from from the the pop side of things, and you become a country artist. This was highlighted in 1975 when your album Big Wheel won the Aria Award for the best country album of the year. This must have been satisfying for you. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> I, I mentioned this just fairly recently. These days, if you win the Aria, I think I think they they give you the key to uh, Australia. You know, it's it's, it's a big deal now. Yep. War, red carpet, and all that stuff. Back when when I won the country album Aria, I was taken out for dinner at Chatswood and uh, and and uh, was presented with little certificates. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a thrill to win to win that aria, yeah. Um, and again, the names in the uh, the history book, so they can't yeah, erase it. That's right. <laughs> Ain't got time to try and understand. No time to love you anymore. I just got time to show you to the door. And I'm not gonna walk the rocky road of life with you again. If it's company that you're looking for, well, you better go looking for him. Well, you pulled the wool right over my eyes. I was your fool, it's true. But now I'm wise to all your lies. Time's run out on you. To gather flowers in the spring No time for the songs we used to sing No time for dreams we shared before I just got time to show you to the door And I'm not gonna walk the rocky road of life with you again You know it's company you're looking for Well, you better go looking for him Wise to all your lies, time's run out on you. And 
And again, it shows your versatility from a, a person who's had a had a pop hit, well, one of the biggest pop hits in Australia, yeah. to winning an Aria in the country field. Strangely enough, the country people seem to think that I've Been Everywhere was a country song rather than uh, I always thought it was a novelty song. You know? And in fact, it's been a bit of a draw, not a drawback, but um, now when I do a show to a, an audience who aren't familiar with my material, I think a lot of them expect me to sing an hour of novelty songs. Right, yes. Which, of course, I don't. I, the only novelty song I sing is I've Been Everywhere. Well, you might have to throw it down in at TAB and yeah. <laughs> no, Little Joey's. No, no, nobody would know it. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, uh, you've continued to record and perform, and, and one of my favourites of your most recent songs, I said we could go on for hours for the uh, the songs and albums that you've recorded, but one of the, one of the songs I really like is off the, uh, the Riverwind album, True to Two. Fine form on this album. What keeps you going? Oh, I I just 
I just love it. I just love singing. I love uh, that. That was a good album. I love that recording. That album it was written by a good mate of mine, Noel Quinlan, a great guitar player. He had a career in Hong Kong, had an advertising agency there, and produced a lot of jingles and a lot of um, a lot of albums for Chinese listeners. But he also still lives in Australia. Has a, a place in Australia as well. And he he was back in Australia this time and. He wanted uh, me to do a demo of that of the song called Riverwind, after which the album was named. And I, I loved the song. It was a beautiful song. Tell us a little bit about the Long Way to the Top concerts. That was a dream come true, an absolute dream come true. When uh, ATA, a Cold Joy's agency, contacted me and asked me, did I want to, what I like to perform with Long Way to the Top? I was, uh, I said, yeah, when can we start? You know, it was marvellous. It was um it was good in, in a couple of ways. I, I got to, to work with, with Cole and Little Patty and Judy Stone and Lonnie again, but I, I got to work with a lot of people I'd never met before. I made a lasting friendship with Marsha Hines. Marsha and I, and I are still good mates after after that, that initial tour. I got to work with Ross Wilson, with um, uh, all of the people, uh, Billy Thorpe. I'd never worked with Bill before. You know? and tell us about Billy. How, was, how did you guys get along? Oh look, he, Billy was a good guy. He, he, was, he was a good guy. He was um, quite nervous as a performer, um, driven. Uh, I got along well with uh, with his the original Aztecs. I'm still good mates with uh, Bluey and Cole, the people from the original Az- Aztecs. It, it was uh, it it was quite sensational. I got to meet um, Glenn Shorrock. Um, I'd never worked with Glenn before. I can't think of all the other all the people who were on the show. What I really liked about the the whole premise of of the uh, the concert tour, which was just a massive success, it was um, sold out shows and oh God, and yeah, they just yeah. kept putting shows on because yeah. what it showed was there is no great Australian cringe. If you give Australians Australians and and put them in on equal footing with any other sort of artists from overseas, you guys are equal, if not better. Oh yeah, well that that, that show uh, we finished up doing. I think it was eight shows in in Melbourne. They filled the the, the Rod Laver Stadium. I think it was eight eight times. In Sydney, I think we did six or seven shows. They filled um, the entertainment center. That's that's just incredible business, you know. Um, and and it it was it it finished up. It was Thorpey's show. 
Um, he uh, it was his concept. He approached Chuggy and um, with the, with the concept of of doing a major uh, stadium show of Aussies. The only proviso was they had had to have at least one hit record, uh, and that's why a lot of people who deserved to be on the show weren't on the show because they actually didn't have a hit a hit song. You know, so yeah, it was just a, a, an amazing an amazing. Um, Show a, a, a lot of uh, what do they say. What what happens on tour stays on tour. <laughs> yeah, except Tony Barber wrote the uh, wrote one of yeah, those books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was great that you guys got your due, and you know, I'm sure you're getting you're getting the adulation from your fans at every show that you're doing. Um, you know, throughout New South Wales and Australia yeah. these days. But you know, to, to play a major concert, it, it must have taken you back to those stadium days. Sydney oh, Stadium. Yeah, it, it did most, most definitely. Uh, and in fact, I just uh, last year or at the end of last year and the start of this year, I got to tour again with the, with the Go Show, which used to be a, a, a Melbourne television show. And uh, they invited, normally it's just Melbourne people. This year they they invited, well, end of last year and this year, they invited little Patty and I and um, Doug Parkinson to join the Melbourne crew, and um, we did four shows with the Go Show, which was once again marvelous. Working with Johnny Young and um, the Mixtures and Colleen Hewitt, Normie Rowe was on the show. It's a beautiful show. It must give you great satisfaction to see your son Craig Morrison forging his own career in music. Ah, yes, uh, Craig. Uh, Craig used to work in in my band in, in the Lucky Star band. I can't afford him now. <laughs> Craig, uh, Craig's a great talent. As I mentioned earlier in this interview, um, I've just recorded one of his songs called "Your Voice." He's had uh, two two songs, two releases on the country music charts in America, which is pretty good. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, in currently recording again. Uh, he's coming out to Australia in November. It's his daughter's wedding, my granddaughter, Paige. She's getting married in November. And uh, I was hoping that we could book some, some gigs, but unfortunately he can't afford the time. He's um, halfway through recording and uh, they have to go to Mexico to, to perform. Because so. he had a band in Australia called Dumont and he, he did. He, they, yeah, yeah. he was trying to forge his own own path and the fact that he's he's gone over there and yeah. he's he's done it on his own it's it's yeah. fantastic yeah 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 demont was a great band and they they did some good good recording some good records people still ask about demont here's one of craig morrison's hit us songs phone call Silence with the knife except the clock ticking boom 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 I wonder what she's doing is she laying there alone My heart is beating harder as I'm staring at this phone boom 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 What will I Get her on the line, I gotta think 
chose to go to America and, and he, he said, you know, Dad, do you think I'm doing the right thing? I said, of course you're doing the right thing. If you don't do it now, if you don't, if you don't live your dream, you will regret it forever. Whether you succeed or not, you must have given it your best shot, which is what he's doing. That's a great way to finish the conversation, Lucky, and uh, thank you very much for your time and it's good to see you're still rocking away. Thank you, mate. It's a great pleasure and thank you for going to the trouble of um, taking your time to... Um, to record some of the memories from uh, people who've been in the business for for a long time, uh, because uh, we don't get uh, we don't get as many requests as we used to to uh, record our our memories, and um, so I thank you for doing it. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and thanks to Lucky Star for his time, and thanks Lucky for the music. If you enjoyed the episode, please click subscribe, and if you could leave a review or rating at iTunes, that would be unreal. If you have any guest requests or suggestions, you can email me at mycoast2 at bigpond.com. That's M-Y-C-O-A-S-T, the number two, at bigpond.com. Or like our Facebook page at All Australian Music Stories. I'd like to thank you again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And until next time, hail, hail, Australian rock and roll. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions. Written, produced and presented by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! Hey, my friends, I've got something to tell you. About a place that I've been to and now Now I know the world is so much wider Than I knew